Did you know that 65% of marketing leaders in APAC view ABM as a crucial part of their marketing spend? And that the emergence of generative AI is transforming the marketing landscape? Want to learn more marketing insights? Well, download the 2023 State of Account-Based Marketing in APAC report with the link in the pod description. You'll have valuable data points and key takeaways all at your fingertips after the single click of the download button. Get your copy now and find out how you can transform your ABM game today. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from X-Growth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. But just a warning in case you have some little ones around, as this episode contains use of coarse language. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Growth Colony. I'm Alex Sipwell. Today, I'm here with Shaheen Hoda and Vinny Romano. How are you both going? Good. Cheers, Alex. Nice to see you. Hey, Shaheen. Doing pretty good. Hello, everybody. We're back with another episode. Hot stuff. Yeah. And we're going to get straight into it this time around. Um, first off, we're going to chat about LinkedIn and Ipsos's B2B marketing benchmark report, um, specifically just a few pieces out of it. Uh and it show, it, one of the things that came out of it was that B2B tech marketing leaders are more focused on attracting new customers than retaining existing ones, with 85% of tech marketing budgets allocated towards landing new business. And these marketers plan to rely on thought leadership content primarily to reach prospective customers next year. Um, this is more than marketers in other industries. As worth noting, like globally, from B2B CMOs, not just in tech. This was the biggest challenge for them. 85% of marketing of tech marketing budgets, that's a pretty big number. I was pretty shocked to see that. Yeah. And yeah. what's going on? What do you think the here? reasons are? What do you think the reasons are for that? Is it is it the hangover of you know the 2021 shopping spree plus AI investments? Do you think? Like to to carve out to carve out eighty so eighty five percent of tech marketing budgets are allocated towards landing new business. There's no emphasis on the word new in there, but that is I'm making the emphasis on that. I mean, I, I don't, I just don't understand. I, don't, I, I mean, I kind of do, I kind of understand, but if if it's revenue, if it's revenue led, it surprises me that nurturing and expanding existing customer accounts, which is the lowest hanging fruit quickest to convert isn't the focus first yeah I, I think it's it's interesting that you see that shift right because 12 months ago it was all about profitability right um 12 months ago it was all about hey we need to be profitable we need to be uh you know the money that we're making we got to show this 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 level of profit we're going to cut jobs we're going to make redundancies we're going to show that 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 pnl is improving and you definitely are starting to see a shift on that front. And I think the other one that is interesting, um, guys, is uh, is that the 
when you look at public companies, and most of the tech companies are are you know their aim is to go public, right? Like they they're like, hey, we're gonna just grow, and our goal is that IPO. We're gonna raise money, 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 and then IPO. And that's a difference, interesting difference between an organization that you know maybe it's service led. If it's like you know we're service led, right? Um, or financial services, or somebody else that is not backed by all the VC money that they're like, all right, we've got to look at profitability and shareholder return. So I wonder if that has something to do with it because they talk about specific tech marketing. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'm in the startup space, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm across, I'm across, you know, the, the, the directives that you get from investors and shareholders and, and, and what's, what's been happening in, what's been happening in the world of, of investment which previously it was all about, you know, profitability, as you say, now it's about battening down the hatches. But even still, if that were, if that were the reason now, why is the Ipsos report showing what we're seeing these stats saying, which is they're focusing companies, tech companies, tech marketing leaders in B2B are focusing, focusing, the majority of their budget purely on net new acquisitions of customers. I, I just don't see. I don't see the link. But if the link is, if the link is that now in the startup space or in the investment space, that that's where the money, that's where investors want their money being spent or shareholders want their money being spent. That gives me even more reason to stay away from talking to investors. And I'm I'm putting my neck out on the line here because for the last eighteen months. My social.ai has spent, you know, talking to investors of all different shapes and sizes, um, family offices, uh, VCs, small VCs, um, angels. Um, and we have not been successful in convincing any investor to give us a check. It just hasn't happened. Now, that might be because we haven't been explaining it as succinctly as they would like. Um, you don't get as much time with investors as you do customers. But to shortcut this conversation, my social is now in a position where we're generating the amount of money that we were asking for our minimum raise. And so we don't actually need the investment anymore. And so now I've still got investors, I've still got investors coming and talk, like, you know, checking up on me. And I'm now saying, we're putting investor conversations on hold. It is such a pain in the ass, investor conversations. Such a pain in the ass. Does that feel good? Does that feel good? You're like, yeah, man, we're not interested in your money anymore. Oh, look, it, 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 it's, certainly, it's certainly liberating. Let me tell you, it's liberating because you're no longer having to... You, I've, I've, never, I've, I've never liked the idea of going cap in hand and, and almost putting these people on a pedestal simply because they have the money. And if you... You know, the advice that you get as a startup when starting on your capital raising capital raising journey is that you want to be strategic as to who it is that you speak to. You want to make sure that you're dealing that you're talking to investors that A know your space, B can be involved organically so that they're not just a a, a, um, uh, a money a money generator, that they actually have, you know, some personal interest and in investment in your space. Um, but that list is really rather small. And so when we finished sort of talking to that small list of 
that particular type of investor, we then went, okay, well, let's broaden our horizons. And then you start speaking to people who don't necessarily meet that criteria. And then you, you know, you're speaking to people that are so far away and, you know, you start talking to the people that have a bad reputation, potentially, in some instances in the investment world. And that is that is also what I found recently is a major, major watch out for other investors to invest in you if you have an investor on your cap table who has a bad reputation within the investment community. And then you throw in the news with I mean, we're going way off tangent here, but then you throw it then you then you see in the news that, you know, Australian laws in terms of who is classed as a sophisticated investor, those rules are now being tightened up. And so now you've got all these investors that are no longer being seen as sophisticated enough under the new terms, under the new rules. And there's backlash from all from all investors. So back to the original point, where does this all come from? If it's all being if if, if this is all directed from companies that have shareholders that have investors that are driving this because they're looking at the economy and where things are at. It's blind stupidity, if you ask me. At the end of the day, get back to the basics <laughs> and invest your budget. Invest your budget on the low-hanging fruit and buy yourself runway. Maximum amount of it. Tech doesn't like that. You got you got the tech loves the uh, the the new hunt, the you know the the next whale. And I think you know that is whether you're you're in the investment stage investors are looking at your organization and, and and this landscape is a little bit different and i want to point out you know i have not raised money um and uh and we're also just completely bootstrapped but uh but you know we've done a lot of studying uh i've done a lot of studying on on either public companies we do work with a lot of public companies um and uh and, and trying to understand that space now the other thing that i would say is the investment space in australia is quite different than in the us where in australia there's a fair bit of focus there's a lot more focus not fair bit there's a lot more focus on profitability and when are you going to break even than it is in the us where in the us you, that conversation almost never happens in terms of where when you're going to break even but um but i, I think we we briefly touched on this on our last um, catch up where they did this analysis and uh, uh, Thomas I think his last name is Tongas um, if I pronounce Tongs. it Tongs Thomas Tongs Tongs thank you Alex I think you know he did this analysis where they looked at different quarters and he's like hey in the last quarter it flipped it flipped meaning that the 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 increase in a stock price of an organization. They were taught previously, they were talking about profitability and it just flipped and went back to normal. Now the stock price moves based on how much growth they experience. And even large companies, you know, like they report on how many new logos they've landed this quarter when they do their quarterly review. Like they don't, it, it's fascinating because, you know, you know, you, most of your com money comes from an existing customer, but that is not even what the analysts want to hear. Um, it's like how many how many new logos did you land compared to hey you're competing with AWS how many new logos did you land um, in that space so um, I wonder I wonder if 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 just the market is going back to growth 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 this conversation has yet again shone a light on potentially my naivety into the way in which the economy is run 
right? Um, because it comes down to it comes down to the people at the top that are analysing the way in which the world is going, and you know maybe there is so much future sight that's going on in these big boardroom conversations with the world leaders that ultimately what falls out is something that to everyday people like us three, we're not privy to those conversations. We don't have that foresight and it's their decisions that look silly right now. But to a but to a B two B day to day marketer in a tech SaaS startup, we're not spending any paid media. We're not spending any money on paid media. We can, but we're not. We're more interested in building our presence organically, continuously learning and 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 working towards product market fit with the people that we are fortunate enough to be working with from an organic perspective. And might I add that since day one, we haven't spent a single dollar on paid media. And as mentioned, we are now in a position where we no longer need the investment from investors. That's not to say that paid media doesn't have its place, but from a perspective of what works and what doesn't, We started with zero customers. We've now got a handful of customers and the majority of our revenue is coming from existing customers to get us to where we've gotten to. Um, And not a single dollar has been spent on media. Where we believe the money needs to go to is to building a better customer experience, seamless, frictionless. That's where the money is invested that we receive from our customers that come back for repeat because that's ultimately what it's all about, isn't it? If you're building something, you're building it for the customer, you have to make sure that they stay happy. Why bother wasting 85% of your budget looking at the next one? Sure, look at the long term, like that, right? That That's actually the nicest part of that sentence. But to, but, but <laughs> to be focusing purely on net new acquisition and not looking at repeat business and looking at paid media not organic, it's ludicrous ludicrous it's a waste of time a waste of money waste of time and you're going to be sending everyone spinning their wheels yeah the paid media thing yeah you just highlighted that i didn't i didn't really pick that up properly until now that you just uh you just double clicked on that um yeah this is orange water by the way it's not wine that's all right we can have wine in fact uh we're gonna order every, we're gonna have everyone's ordered wine for next call um just uh and just do wine and tequila shots in the back of it wow that would be fun but um you know i i think we're gonna produce better content um i, I think i i'm i'm gonna be more entertaining uh for sure but um but what finish your point about the paid media no i i think i think that that was that was really interesting that you're, you're right like the organic component is um is not mentioned over there and that 85 percent of it is is uh is going to paid you got to remember you got you got to remember that the report is done by linkedin and linkedin's main revenue generator is is the ad is paid media well linkedin's main revenue generator isn't necessarily sponsored ads sales navigator the reason why linkedin is 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 such a good business model is because they have multiple revenue streams and they don't rely on ads 
but ads is a significant income ads is a significant revenue income for them um and i believe the report is geared towards marketers which is where they will likely spend the majority of their money on linkedin if you're talking to sales for example you'd probably be gearing it towards sales navigator um and other other products a little bit of a nudge a little bit of a nudge doesn't hurt but linkedin but in this instance in this instance organic media is not mentioned by linkedin in this particular report because it's not a revenue driver for them when talking to marketers um and so just temper just just tempering what i said with that knowledge you know we're only reading a report which is obviously promoting paid ads to the audience that they want to promote it to um <clears throat> that's not to say that the that the information is skewed um but it is certainly with a focus on just paid media but having said that i don't think that enough b2b tech marketers focus enough on the power of organic um and that's what my social sets to uh, is 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 set up to change talking about organic did you see did you see tiktok's ad tiktok not sorry not tiktok uh, the kitkat ad the one that was based on the google deep mind study of have a have a break and then have the, a, ha, have have ai break yeah yes did you see that yeah it was great that was a great that was a great example of B2B creativity. Great example. Just for people who haven't watched the ad, because you're probably listening, basically, this is a KitKat ad that shows side-by-side chat GPT, um, getting what the DeepMind scientists introduced as optimization by prompting. And I'm saying it like that because it's a capital P-R-O. Um, so it's a method to improve the performance of the LLM and you can kind of see like a split screen with the prompting. I uh, don't really love that term. And uh, without it and the, the difference in results. So basically using that uh, tagline of have a break um, with the GPT uh, to, to make it have a better result. We'll put the link in the comments. But uh, but yeah, I, what, what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts on that, Vinny? Firstly, when I, I, saw, the, I saw the campaign um, and I hadn't seen... I hadn't seen the research, but when I saw the campaign, I saw it on LinkedIn and I saw it from one of my um, favorite influencers, Ali K. Miller, um, who uh, I believe she's quite high up at AWS, Amazon, um, uh, from an AI perspective. She regularly shares uh, great content, lots of followers. Um, and so, you know, first and foremost, it's because it was her that was sharing it. I was more prone to, to listen. So social selling 101, right? Rather than me sharing it, for example. Rather than you sharing it, because I just scroll straight past you. Yeah, you don't give me any love, man. I need a little <laughs> bit more love, buddy. <laughs> I don't think you post enough, buddy. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Shots fired. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. Okay, all right. Let's go Let's go back to Ali's post. All right. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, doesn't it? Fine, fine. Let's go, let's go back to Ali's post. Right, so I saw the video come up, and I actually... I actually watched the first half of the video without clicking on the video. I was, I was, I was watching it and reading the subtitles, which is the experience that all of us get on LinkedIn or on any social media. 
all videos do not autoplay with sound unless you enable that, right? And I, I haven't got it enabled. So I was that hooked. I was that enthralled by the video itself without any sound. And what I did was, which is what I normally do when I am engaged and I've, and I've watched, you know, a portion of the video, in this case, a full first half, I click the sound on and I take it all the way back to the beginning. I totally do that. Totally do that. And I, and I watched the video um, uh, and I thought that is, that, that is a great example of, of, um, of B2B creativity. I think I even shared it with you guys. And in the same post shared by Ali, she shared the piece of research that the guys at Nestle and the agency that put it together, um, uh, you know, used as the inspiration. And the, the report goes on to say that any LLM or AI copywriter responds better with, be with a higher percentage of accuracy when you start the prompt, which is so critical, when you start the prompt with, let's take this step by step, right? So you're, because it's a natural language model. It's a la natural language model. It, 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 it is designed to uh, be engaged as if you're talking to it like you're talking to a human. And so what was really interesting about this research, which had nothing to do with KitKat, was that Nestle took that research and went, let's take this step by step. It's similar to our you know, globally famous strapline, have a break. Now, at first, let's take this step by step versus have a break as a prompt is a bit of a stretch, but it's open and there waiting for someone to capitalize on it, right? It's a beautiful, and, and, and if you think about it in the second part, it's a beautiful interpretation that makes for a wonderful B2B campaign idea, but most importantly, it's led by data, but even more importantly, it's fueled by human creativity. For me, and my mantra is, you know, automate where we can, humanize when we must, for me, it is the embodiment of taking a piece of research, being led by that human creativity coming on top of that to pull that information out and turn it into something which is relevant, which is fresh, which is never really sort of been done before. But of all brands to do that, <clears throat> a fucking chocolate bar, yep. <laughs> a B2C FMCG product. I just thought so many B2B marketers can take. We're behind. Can can just can just take so much from that. And it's so simple. It's so simple. You read a report, you've got someone who who can interpret that report from a creative standpoint, runs with it and turns it into a 1 minute 30 video which isn't promoting KitKat necessarily or not you know, in front of your face, but it's by association and then shared on LinkedIn in a B2B platform where they understand that professionals eat chocolate too. It's just, it's, it's another example of turning around to B2B marketers and saying, you're a fucking idiot. How do you not get this? <laughs> How do you not get that this works? Yeah, it's 
So true. What B2B marketers would do is they'd share the report. Oh, so true. Mm. So true. They'd share the report. Or do a thought leadership on it and uh, let's put our thoughts on it and just create a, another report, reference the old report, put it on LinkedIn, run ads to for people. Exactly. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for that. Yeah, there is. There is. If what we're discussing here is, you know, something that we've discussed on a number of times. But we're not going to be discussing that on the podcast. No. It's not going to get discussed. It's not going to make it to the podcast. But when they, you know, it has its place. But guess what? That report, that report that is customized and then put on LinkedIn for ads is not being discussed. Yeah. It's not going to make it to the pod, to this podcast for us to have a chat about it. It's not going to make the headlines. Growth calling headlines, man. Everyone, yeah. and everyone's looking at those headlines. So it's not going to five make star it. rating of headlines. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but you've got to temper that with it's something that is not always done. Right. It's not always done. And so therefore, it's probably more reason why it is making the headlines. But that's exactly the reason why it is making the headlines, because in order to in order to grab attention, you have to do something. You, In order to sit in the top one percent, you have to be willing to do what the other ninety nine percent won't. Yeah, that's going to be the quote of the, the podcast. It's a big headline. Um, right after the title of the podcast today <laughs> done but yeah that's it's such a great point it's such a great point and and it's just you're right i think it's like it, you go you go no i was just gonna say it's just it's it's been it's been a burning topic for us on on previous episodes um creativity and b2b and i think you know if every episode that we do you know if without really having to go looking for it i think we'll struggle to find one per episode yep without having to go looking for it. True. I'm really glad we have one to talk about. Yeah. No, it's, but it just it just shows it just shows how much how much we still have from a creativity perspective, how how much we still need to learn from the from the direct to consumer space. Yeah. 100%. The other thing that I came across recently. Now, this is not we usually try to cover the most recent things that have happened in the B2B or related to B2B in the past month on the, on the podcast. But uh, I found it interesting, something that I came across where, you know, we are obsessed with NPS. Um, and there was a video that we recorded about a year ago. And, uh, and it, it talks about how NPS cannot actually predict retention. And there is almost no correlation between what your NPS is and how your customers renew or how often they renew. What is the rate of renewal? There's no relationship. And that, that uh, it was just very interesting because a lot of people that you talk to kind of put NPS on this pedestal and it has become this, you know, one number to tell you everything about the company. But um, Vinny, did you have a chance to, uh, to have a look at that? It was a little bit of a long video. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I've never come across the guy before. I think his name was Edward Danes or Dane Edwards. Greg, Greg Danes. Greg Danes. Sorry, Greg, if you're listening. My conclusion was ultimately when customers get results from your product or service, no matter how modest or spectacular, this is, this is the key driver for retention. So results equals retention. Yeah. And when he arrived at that point, the thing that fell out of my head was, okay, well, is he talking B2C? Is he talking B2B? But comparing the two, I, I, it's inconclusive as to what he was talking about. I would imagine he's talking about B2B. And B2B products and services. He's B2B, yeah. So, so he, he was talking about B2B? Yeah, yeah, he was, he was B2B, okay. yeah. 
So B2B products and services far outweigh the ability to drive results as opposed to, you know, laundry detergent, for example, right? Um, and in B2B, it far outweighs the capability of, of, of driving retention because what does loyalty, what does retention mean? Well, retention, retention or loyalty, um, if your B2B product or service delivers me results, part of the pitch needs to reference how quickly there's a higher chance that I'll continue to work with you. Yeah, yeah. So then how does that, how does that match up with loyalty? Like, how are you defining loyalty? Does, the, does, does that work when you're not dealing with a person? Can this message get across and be successful in results when you're not talking to a person? in B2B, like, can you drive retention without speaking to a person? Is, is my question, I suppose, if, if you... I think so. I think so. I, I think I think what was... Um, you're completely right. Like, it, it came down to, hey, if you're solving a problem, and it's a big enough problem, they will stick around. Uh, and, and you retain them. Regardless of how much they... It's just funny how much they say they love your your process and your customer experience and all that stuff. Regardless of that, they will stick around. And and the other interesting piece of information was the people who actually took the effort and the time to respond to the NPS survey overall had a higher retention rate than the ones who didn't. It was significant. Too. Yeah. So it was massive difference between the two. Irrespective of their actual experience. So whether it was... That's right. Exactly. Whether whether it was bad or good. Exactly. And they had a massive, massive amount of uh, uh, retention from from that group. And, uh, and it, it uh, you know, when I was thinking about that, it was like, okay, well, if somebody is passionate enough or they're invested enough, they're going to give you feedback, right? And uh, is that a measurement? Is that, should you be working on, hey, how do we, how do we increase that engagement? And and how do you do that by, you know, by com- comes back to the product and the product market fit and all that stuff uh, and the problem that you solve, which is a, a lot more fundamental question rather than, you know, we pamper them and we take care of this, and we take care of that and we send them, you know, gifts and, you know, all that stuff. And we have great customer service. Almost none of it matters at a retention level um, if you don't have that core core um, correct product. Well, hang on. I would challenge that. So having a good product doesn't necessarily mean engagement. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I, I, I would say if, if you... So, if, if, sorry, let, let, me, let me crystallize that. So I, I like I like what you said in terms of so his conclusion, Greg Greg's conclusion was that results. If you deliver me results, I'm going to stay. You then you then referenced the part of the video which was people are more likely to stay results or not. So if you're not getting them results, so the next tier down. So results up at the top. You get me results, I'm more likely to stay. Next tier down. People that are engaged enough with your product or service have a higher retention rate than those who do not, right? So if we're thinking about it like that. So then my question to you, so you're 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 at that second part. So how do you get how do you get engagement whether whether it's good or bad? It's not because, in my opinion, it's not because you've got a good product or service. 
It's because of the experience that you give them. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but maybe what what I'm trying to say is, I think all of it get boils down to your product market fit, and if you are addressing a a painful enough problem or not. And what I mean by that is just looking at some of these conversations and, and the video is if the problem is painful enough that you're addressing, people are going to be hyper engaged to solve that problem. And if your product is the goal is to address that problem, but you know maybe they don't have a great experience with you, there is still a good chance that they will stick around and work with you to kind of get that up because they're so engaged in that problem. But if you are not solving a problem that they're hyper engaged in and it's not top of mind, there is a good chance that they will not be engaged. They will not participate in your NPS and they would drop off very quickly, regardless of how amazing your experience is, regardless of how lovely that engagement is between you and them. I'd agree. I'd agree with that. It's the age old. It's the age old. Are you are you creating a painkiller or a vitamin? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And and that analogy is actually quite nice when you think about it, because a painkiller is something that people they're in pain. They go looking for the, the solution, whereas a supplement or a, or a vitamin is something that, you know, I can kind of go without it. Right. It's not. It's a nice to have. It's a luxury. I agree with you that proving product market fit is the problem, a painkiller rather than a vitamin. If you are proving to me that you are trying to solve my pain, if you are solving my pain, that's giving me a result. Therefore, I'm looking to stick around. But that's not necessarily a determining factor as to whether or not I'm going to fill out your NPS score survey. Okay, good point. Good point. Right. So I might just want the solution and go. Right. Brilliant. Thanks. See you later. No, I haven't got time for that. How you get people to engage, in my opinion, is yes, you've got to have the product which is solving their their pain point. But to get them to engage, whether it's good or bad, is to give them a hyper personalized, hyper personalized user experience. Okay. My counter to that is if you solve a big enough problem for people, you have a much higher percentage of people who would engage in providing feedback. That's my, because, because you, you alleviated a pain that has just been, it's been so personal. It's been so deep and, uh, and, and I'm going to engage more. I agree with you, but my point is not. Okay. Where, where are we not agreeing? What, what I'm saying, I'm not disagreeing with you anywhere. What I I suppose what I'm saying is, Proven product market fit, you are killing my pain, but not everyone is going to respond to my NPS survey. How do I drive that number of respondents up? So I've got product market fit. Drive that NPS engagement level up by providing a hyper-personalized user experience. So you get more out of the product market fit category, people that identify as a painkiller. Yep. I see your point. You're saying just incre- increase that number. You're going to have a certain. You're going to be at sixty percent. But if you if you you're going to have a number. Yeah, you're going to if you if you layer that personalization on top of it, that that personal touch, um, it's uh, it's going to go higher. No, I'm I'm with you on that front. No argument there. No no need to fight. And I suppose no no need to fight. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, I do like the uh, I do like the uh, 
the vibe of the vibe of this this episode. We're uh, sort of jostling. Jostling it is. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm just sitting back. And it's great. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just watch you two play tennis <laughs> with each other. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the 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 Persian versus uh, versus the Brit. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Extra. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.